Hello and welcome to the Runway VC Podcast, a podcast where we interview experts and disruptors in the travel and aviation industries to learn about their journeys, how they're making the future, and what tips they have for people wanting or even trying to make their own mark. Please enjoy this episode and remember you can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher by just searching runway.vc and hitting the subscribe button. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome again to another episode of the Runway VC Podcast. On this episode, I get to talk with Chris Rundy. He's the director of the AAAE Airport Innovation Accelerator. During our conversation, we start off by talking about how he came up through the industry, first as a consultant with Accenture, uh, working with TSA, then going to work for TSA, and finally getting an opportunity to run the accelerator with AAAE. We also talk about the startups he's working with through the program, as well as where he sees the future of the industry heading. Uh, we talk about some issues that he sees airports facing and how some airports are adapting to a culture of change. And then we wrap up our conversation with Chris talking about a conference AAA is hosting called the Airport Innovation Forum, uh, where they get together a bunch of different forward-thinking people from across different industries to talk about the future of aviation and how airports play a role in that. Finally, just an editorial note, you'll hear me kind of flip back and forth between referring to the accelerator as an incubator. I know that those two things have two separate definitions. Uh, AAA refers to their program as an accelerator, so that's its official name. I uh, hope that doesn't cause too much confusion while you're listening to the interview. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, doing well. Doing well. So now you are with the AAAE Airport Innovation Incubator. Uh, can you give us a little background on AAAE and what you guys are doing with the incubator? Sure. So uh, the American Association of Airport Executives has been around since, gosh, I think 1928. Um, And what they do is they represent the airport leaders at the airports. So in contrast to um, other organizations that may represent the airport themselves, uh, we have over 5,000 individuals that have leadership roles within the airports. And those individuals uh, account for almost 800 airports across the U.S. and some of them internationally. Um, and uh, in general, AAAE has a unique legacy of entrepreneurship. They've launched a number of different services for their airport members, uh, including uh, background check automation where they collect fingerprints and biographic data for uh, all the airport workers, hundreds of thousands of those on an, a yearly basis, and then filter those data points over to the TSA and FBI for background checks. Uh, But they also do training for a lot of the airport employees. Um, A lot of it is around CIDA and other security and safety requirements. Um, And that's really where the accelerator was born, the same foundational premise that service to our members is really key. And the fact that uh, particularly now, Innovation seems to have such an important part in our culture, but also uh, in the financial viability 
of companies in the country. So with, with that premise, the board at AAAE approved the creation of the Airport Innovation Accelerator uh, at the beginning of 2015. Uh, the premise being that there needs to be a central point for airports to go to find new ideas, but also to vet those ideas and serve in a capacity um, where one individual airport would, would have difficulty doing that on their own. So I personally joined in May of last year and have been spending the last 12 months plus defining what we're going to be um, and also building a community around the accelerator. So we've made some tremendous progress. I can talk about that uh, as we go along in our conversation. But the, the essence for AAAE is to continue building this legacy of innovation uh, and service for our, our airport members. So let's take a, a step back before we get into kind of more into your role. Um, how did you get into the aviation industry as, as, a, as a whole? Well, like many of the guests that you have on the program, I uh, sort of have a natural affinity for aviation um, and sometimes just sort of a state of awe that we've mastered flight. I was out in San Francisco the other week and saw an A380 get off the ground, and it just blows my mind that something that large can take off and land uh, with such precision. But uh, a lot of it, personally, was luck, the universe, or otherwise, um, my mother was general counsel for World Airways. Uh, my capstone project at uh, University of Virginia in their systems engineering program was focused on uh, airport turns and the propagation of delays throughout the whole system. Uh, but the big switch came for me when I was working for Accenture. And uh, I started with a new customer called the TSA. They were a new agency at the time. And my role was to help them adjudicate the background checks of 50,000 new employees where you know, OPM had done their research. They'd found a lot of information on individuals, but uh, we literally had rooms full of paperwork that had not been reviewed. And in the meantime, all these people were on the front lines. Uh, so that morphed into uh, a role with TSA. At the end of that contract, I position where they couldn't lose me. So they brought me over and over the course of six years with TSA, I had the opportunity to work very closely with airports. Uh, one of them, those opportunities was running the uh, aviation biometric program. It was called ACES at the time. Uh, but that allowed me to get out in front of uh, industry and get some real good feedback. Uh, and then my last role was rolling out pre-check uh, under Administrator Pistol coordinating with the airlines, getting uh, all of the barcode uh, scanners at the checkpoint uh, and all of the back-end processing together so that it could all work so seamlessly. Uh, so that was sort of my entree into aviation. I spent the following years at a startup, and then through my TSA work, I actually knew a number of the folks at AAAE. So when they launched the accelerator, um, I was on their list, um, and it was a good fit, good timing. So when you were at um, TSA, how was that different than, I mean, obviously there's the government um, oversight and, and the notorious red tape going through all that, but rolling out a new program 
um, like PreCheck. What, how is that different than just kind of rolling out uh, the, with the startup that you were with when you're rolling out new products um, and going through, through all that? Yeah, well, I, I joke that uh, jumping from DHS to a startup was like the antithesis of where I was, uh, where a lot of this DHS work, we had lots of stakeholders. We spent a fair amount of time up on Capitol Hill explaining why risk-based security made sense and uh, coordinating within other policy members, even internationally, IATA and otherwise, about you know what standards are required and which ones uh, can we meet. Uh, but not at the same level that we currently have. And that uh, rigor and, and the complexity uh, was in sharp contrast to, to the experience on the startup side where it was all about speed. Um, and I would say that the, the fundamental difference is the tolerance for risk. Um, TSA sort of is in a really bad position. From working there, I can say this, it was uh, – it was one of those situations where the terrorist only has to be correct once, uh, but we had to be correct 100% of the time. Uh, and even if we're right, if we're holding people up in line too long, we're still losing the battle. And, um, you know, that, that personally was wearing. Uh, you have your own uh, uh, achievements or otherwise along the way. Um, but ultimately, you're there to provide security, which sometimes is one of those topics that's tough to either justify an ROI or, or get some real backers. But it's definitely a necessity. Um, so it was a good contrast. Um, and honestly, it helped me as a startup to understand how the government works. Because in many respects, uh, our airports are quasi-governmental agencies. So they have similar bureaucracies. They have uh, procurement cycles that often can be lengthy. Um, so it's helpful to understand that dynamic, uh, especially in the realm of a, uh, innovation, where you know the, some of the fundamental principles now of aviation is fail fast and try different things and embrace change, um, where sometimes the culture at airports and certainly the bureaucracy at airports doesn't support that particular approach. Um, so I, I think that has helped me better understand this position, um, and also when we try to bring our government partners to the table, which is a key component of the accelerator, um, understanding their restrictions and, and how they can and can't work with industry. So it's all coming together, um, but it's been helpful to have all those experiences. And how is that the idea that airports um, and, and the government as a whole is not as risk tolerant um, as startups or as private industry. How is that holding us back? Um, I mean, you look at, like you said, the, the politics that go behind airports um, and if a, a director takes a risk on working with the company and it fails, his or her job could be on the line, uh, you know, coming down the pipe. How big of that are you seeing from your role with AAAE and, and the accelerator? Is that hindering kind of the forward progress of the industry? Well, it's certainly a component. Um, I oftentimes go back to Roger's adoption curve, where you have your innovators in the front end, a uh, small subset of those, then you have a set of early adopters, the folks that like to try the new things. 
And then you make a transition to the majority, the early majority, then the late majority. And at the tail end, you have laggards. And in many respects, uh, I think airports have been forced into the position of the late majority and sometimes uh, the laggards for new technologies. And a primary driver of that is is risk. Um, I think, as you mentioned, the, the moniker is no one got fired for hiring IBM or something like that. Right. You know, I think right. it it uh, there's a personal stake for any individual in airport leadership to venture out on their own and uh, try something that may not be proven already. And and I think that has been one of the more fundamental challenges for airports to be more innovative. Uh, but when you couple that with bureaucracy and uh, you know the long procurement cycles, um, it it adds up to a very interesting challenge. Um, but what we're seeing is that that challenge that has potentially pent up some uh, innovations has actually created a vast opportunity in the airport environment for new approaches and emerging solutions. I mean, we are. We're looking at a number of different areas, but uh, passenger experience is one that I hear very regularly from our airport leaders. In one particular area, we're investing a lot of time. You know, with the proliferation of um, smartphones and and mobility becoming a key thing, there's tremendous opportunity for airports to narrow that gap and and move to the left towards early adopters, if not innovators. Um, you know, maybe that sweet spot is a subset of solutions that maybe they're proven in another industry or perhaps they're not quite bleeding edge, uh, but they also have not yet met the mass market of airports. And I think that's part of what we're envisioning in the accelerator is harnessing those ideas, establishing proof points such that it's easier for our airport leaders to uh, take advantage of these solutions. Um, so if we take the risk up front on behalf of the industry um, in partnership with a few select airports, um, that's how we've seen innovation happen historically, um, and that's what we're cultivating here through the accelerator is if we can take some of the burden or some of that risk up front, um, we're more likely as an industry to move forward quickly. quickly. And now what are the... I guess, qualities that you all have seen with the innovative airports. Um, is it a director or ro- solely running the show in terms of trying to push, in a push innovation, or is it, you know, employees uh, trying to push the director? How, what are some of the characteristics that you've seen there with the airports? Culture is definitely a key contributor to innovation, um, and oftentimes that does flow from the director. Um, other times it flows from City Hall. So many of these airports are part of a larger organization. So if the mayor has a particular interest in innovation when they're close with the airport director, um, that can influence where resources go. And typically where the money and the energy flows is what your results are. Um, and there's a number of those airports that come to mind. I mean, obviously San Francisco's done some really amazing things recently. Um, and their director over the past 20 years, John Martin, um, who's been succeeded by Ivar Satero, is, um, they're very innovative. I think that's just part of their culture. I think it permeates from the top all the way through. Um, and, and I think that is a key component, is having that support at the executive level 
and that desire to try new things allows people that have good ideas at the operational level to actually execute on those. Because um, without that support, uh, oftentimes they're discouraged or, you know, you could even be penalized for trying something new that, that wouldn't work out. Um, but the good news from my perspective is I'm seeing a shift. Even in the past 18 months, um, the emphasis on, on the importance of innovation is, is coming through loud and clear. Um, and what I think is happening is the people working uh, at the airport level, not necessarily the executive director, um, but the folks that are in a senior leadership role in airports, they see new ideas, they want to pursue new ideas, um, and I think they're relishing this opportunity to act on those ideas. So I'm seeing a groundswell of interest. We, uh, we started a program earlier this year uh, called Innovation Insiders, and this is for our airport leaders that really believe in innovation um, and want to be part of the accelerator. So to evaluate new ideas, to pilot solutions, and otherwise to uh, receive information from the accelerator that we're collecting on behalf of the industry and, and actively be involved. So we opened that up um, in January, and within the first 48 hours, we had over 200 airport leaders uh, volunteer to be part of the program, and that number is continuing to grow. So I'm very optimistic that the culture and the desire for innovation is uh, growing in airports. And are you seeing, I guess, um, the, the 200 uh, sign-ups that you got is, is an encouraging statistic for sure. Um, but in an industry that if for so long has been run by, I mean, the select group of people, uh, and I say people in the sense of companies and airlines, um, even the airports, you know, you've got your hierarchy of airports uh, in terms of passenger passenger throughput. Um, is it, it still seems from an outsider standpoint as the industry that does that does it because this is how it's always been done. Um, how much of that is playing into it? And then on the other side where you have technology and startups that and people that are just not using, taking that as an excuse anymore and just blowing right past it. Um, so I, I'll address, I think, the first one, and, and that is one of the bigger challenges or the competitors to innovation is good enough. Oftentimes good enough is the enemy of, of innovation. And uh, uh, the reason for that is, one, it's easy to point to the past as a rationale for doing something. Um, and, and in many respects, uh, it's probably less effort to try something new than to try something that's proven. Um, so by necessity, sometimes our airport leaders will have to take that route um, because repairing a runway is almost always going to trump uh, trying to take an innovation, innovative effort or trying to do something new. So that uh, the natural tension that we see is you can't abandon your day duties to singularly focus on innovation. Uh, what we're encouraging is to carve out a portion of their focus and their attention towards the future and towards new ideas. Um, 
using Pareto principle, maybe that 20% of time that we focus on new ideas gives us 80% of our future growth or, or stability um, in the airport environment and allows us to grow as an industry. Uh, but I, I would say that, you know, as is and what's been done in the past is sort of a hindrance. So it's helpful for us to look beyond what's been done then. Um, and in that vein, that's really what we're espousing through the accelerator. We're embracing the design thinking concepts uh, as well as the lean startups of taking our perception of challenges and shifting them, flipping them on their head before we approach solutions. And then once we have some ideas on solutions, let's not presume that they're not going to work. Let's see what happens when, when we uh, implement them. Let's, let's get some feedback in real time. Um, and then maybe it's helpful if you wouldn't mind reiterating your second part of your question, because I don't think I, I grasped that one fully. Yeah, so I, I'm, I just look at uh, programs like Clear, you know, where they mm -hmm. have kind of just, I don't want to say thrown out the book, you know, when it comes to pre-check and, and that whole idea, but they almost went a route where they weren't going to let the regulations stand in front of the ease to get through security for certain people. Um, you know, and while they've found a way to work through the regulations, uh, they, you know, kind of created their own uh, pre-check by all, by all means. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the question, you know, the, the concern is that if the industry, which is, for argument's sake, should be one of the most innovative industries in the world, when you really look at the core of aviation, you know, we <laughs> defy physics on an hourly, minute-by-minute -minute basis. Uh, is there a concern that if there is too much hesitation, that technology is just going to blow through the industry and it's going to go another route, whether it's driverless cars or a Hyperloop or, you know, whatever the next yeah. thing is? Yeah. Thanks for restating that. Uh, but you're so right. I mean, for defying the laws of gravity, uh, we should get some points in aviation. Um, but in many respects, yeah, we, uh, it, it is difficult to be a true innovator in the aviation space. So I think CLEAR is a decent example of that, where uh, behind the scenes, I, I worked with CLEAR in the very early days, um, and uh, it wasn't easy, um, both coordinating with the government uh, at the time, you know, DHS has background checks that happen as part of the CLEAR process, but they also had a play in how the checkpoints were configured so that CLEAR could have their defined lane. Um, and I, I don't think it's been an easy path for CLEAR, and I think there's, there's challenges that may continue to exist. And I think that's, uh, from what I observed and what I've seen in other areas of aviation, it's not easy to be a tip of the spear innovator in airports in particular. Uh, but I think there's a need for it. And that, that's a great point that you have, that competition for airports is coming from different directions now. I think um, even two decades ago, it was regionalized. Uh, you had your target market, and it was anybody that was sort of within a certain mile radius. And if you were the airport in that radius, that was the airport that everybody went to. But um, with the rapid... Uh, evolution of autonomous cars. I saw a great article from Ford CEO that by 2021, uh, they're expecting fleets of autonomous cars. These 
advances that arguably disruptive technologies become competition for airports. Uh, and I'll be honest, I think the short haul market would be something I'd reconsider, especially if airports continue to uh, have right now uh, sort of a less than optimal passenger experience. Um, it's oftentimes people dread the security checkpoints and, and other elements of the process. Um, so when that is the case and you have to allocate an extra two hours to your commute, um, you may be more likely to jump in an autonomous car for that, you know, instead of taking a one-hour flight from sure. D.C. to New York. So um, in the absence of airports being, one, aware of those upcoming solutions, but two, proactive about what you're going to do, um, there's a, a major uh, challenge ahead of airports to adapt and adapt quickly. Um, one of the other examples that autonomous cars can impact airports is for parking garages. I mean, there's still a number of airports that are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in Conracs and, you know, re new rental car facilities. But what happens when, you know, autonomous cars go to a centralized lot in the city and they're on demand um, and no one's really driving? So I think it fundamentally changes the parking situation for individuals that would go on their own, but also people that are visiting um, and otherwise would get a rental car. So these are the uh, types of disruptions that are happening outside of airports but are very quickly coming towards airports. Um, another example that's a fun one, and it's one that you mentioned earlier in our conversation, but Uber, um, you know, five years ago, if, if I told, asked you to voluntarily get in the car with a stranger and have them drive you somewhere, you'd probably be resistant. But uh, nowadays, people come to expect the ability to pull up the Uber app or Lyft um, and get a driver on demand and get a good price for it, uh, especially at the airports. So it's it's been something that airports have adapted to now, um, and it's an example of how really disruptive solutions can affect the airport environment if we're not prepared. Yeah, I think that um, personally, driverless cars and Uber, uh, just the way that people transport themselves in cargo um, is, is really interesting. Obviously, driverless technology is going to be a big disruptor. Um, I think that the biggest issue right now is that they're – people are trying to put a blanket template on what the future is going to look like um, in terms of, you know, well, driverless cars, like you said, may end up at a centralized parking area in downtown. Um, and I think for a large extent of the population, that's going to be true. Um, I think the other side of that, though, is that it's hard uh, to imagine, you know, when you're in the Midwest, um, and you've still got to get, you know, there isn't a big centralized hub of cities or, or anything like that. You know, I don't, I don't personally believe that the idea of owning a car is going to be um, eliminated for every American. Um, and, and taking into consideration the gearheads that are always going to love to drive, you know, the 65 Mustang or, you know, like mm -hmm. those people that yep. are just passionate about 
um, about that type of technology, about that, those types of cars, um, but also that it's just not feasible to have a driverless car. You know, there are some parts of the country that it isn't feasible for Uber to operate in because it just takes so long to get to, you know, a farm or, you know, these small towns. And, and I say that coming from Louisiana, uh, where there's small towns all up and down the Gulf Coast that Uber doesn't exist in because they're villages or, you know, whatever the township is called or classified in. Um, but I agree yep. with you that uh, I think it's ironic, though, that the regional airports have something to be concerned for when driverless technology starts to roll out because it will be it won't be as inconvenient to drive you know two hours to get to a bigger hub airport. Uh, the irony behind that, though, is when you talk to people that fly in and out of regional airports uh, regularly, as opposed to the major hub airports, almost every time a regional airport, my passenger experience is going to uh, be a better experience <laughs> than a large hub because there's just less people. So I, I know we work with, you know, working with a lot of small airports, the biggest attractor to people that fly at small airports are, um, well, I can show up 30 minutes or 10 minutes before my flight and breeze right through security because I know there's not going to be a line. Um, mm -hmm. and, yet, and, yet, and when you ask people what their biggest pain is going through an airport, it's security. Uh, but the <laughs> the ones that provide the smallest wait times are the ones that are probably going to be for best uh, most impacted by the driverless uh, technology. Um, so I yep. think that's that's it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. And I like the idea that you brought up uh, just the the engineering and the rethink that um, airports are going to have to go through with this changing technology. Because you're right, there are hundreds of millions of dollars being spent, if not billions, on parking garages and Conracks um, and sat down with a architect uh, who specializes in airports not too long ago, and she was telling me that, you know, they have to rethink the idea of a parking garage um, and, and rethink that it's – they're going to build it a certain way to be a parking garage now, but in 10 years it has to be easily converted to an office building or something else uh, because it's it's could change, you know, in a very short amount of time, relatively speaking to, you know, the rest of, uh, of buildings being built, especially around airports when you look at air terminals like LaGuardia um, or O'Hare that have been around for, you know, decades. Um, so the, the shift, I guess, when you look at, that type of technology, um, how many airport directors or how many airports are they starting to think of that? I mean, you look at the billions that are being spent in areas like LaGuardia and O'Hare, and I think Atlanta, Hartsfield just rolled out a big CIP program. Um, is all that being taken into effect, into, into thought while they go through this design process? Yeah, I, I definitely have observed a number of airport leaders that are definitely thinking in this direction. One that comes to mind is Dave Wilson, even last year at our innovation forum, was talking about the impact on our uh, airport garage revenue. And he's already talking about uh, vertical farming and, and concepts like that, that you can repurpose those buildings uh, for other uh, areas and, and ideas. So I'm 
Uh, I've definitely observed that there's lots of thought in this area, and that's exactly what we're trying to encourage to the accelerator is, is not, it's not always a dramatic shift in your thinking. Sometimes it can be a tweak, um, but done correctly, it enables you to better respond in the future. You know, it's, there's the, my dad loves this Dos Equis commercial where the most interesting man in the world is in an art gallery with a whole bunch of people who look confused looking at a, a painting and he just walks up and turns it 90 degrees and everybody starts applauding. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not always a technology solution in that respect either. You know, it's sometimes it's just a process, looking at a process in a different way. Um, but it sure. does, to your point, it, it takes everybody in the ecosystem to make it possible. You mentioned that, you know, the architect is the one responsible for engineering or planning a garage for different uses down the road. Um, if that same architect gives airports bad information or dated information or, to your point earlier, they're going off of designs from two decades ago, that is a huge disservice to our airports. Um, and that's one of the things that we're trying to encourage through our community is let's proactively put ourselves a few years into the future. These capital projects are, you know, they carry bonds of 30 years. They, this is not something that you're going to be able to do on a, uh, even a five-year basis. Um, so it's important that right now, especially in the rate of change uh, that we're living, uh, that airports are a little bit more thoughtful and proactive about what they're building, what they're doing, and why they're doing it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Now, talk a little bit more about the accelerator. Um, how does how does this program work? Are you guys working with a select group of companies right now? Well, I think the essence of the accelerator is we want to be the place to launch innovation in airports. So there's a few ways that we're cultivating that. The first is through a community. Uh, the forum is an example of that, where we bring airports together with innovators, government leaders. Uh, other key stakeholders like a airlines um, to rethink what what is possible in airports. Um, another com component is helping innovative companies navigate the airport space. Uh, what we've observed is there's lots of people with good ideas and even ones with really good solutions that could help airports, uh, but they they really don't understand how airports work. So. They get incredibly frustrated cold calling, you know, an airport, not knowing who to contact, um, oftentimes trying to reach the wrong person, uh, and then otherwise being unfamiliar with the procurement process, the uh, airport infrastructure needs. Um, so we are putting a specific emphasis on helping the innovators, um, and we launched a program last year called Market Match, uh, which is built around that exact concept where we will take some of the most promising solutions, um, and then we will connect those innovators with airports. It's all based on the lean startup process, the, the focus being let's get real feedback really quickly. Uh, it saves airports times, but it also saves innovators, especially startups, valuable time and money uh, in product cycles, so they're not building something, the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, and then the last component uh, from the accelerator ties into AAAE's heritage, which is delivering new services to airports. So the accelerator is actively on uh, searching for and evaluating services and solutions that can benefit all of our airports. 
an example of that is a solution that SFO created on their own about two years ago called app-based transportation. Um, this is a solution that where SFO created a geofence around the airport and they negotiated with Uber and Lyft and Sidecar at the time to get pings every time a driver came in to either drop somebody off or pick them up. Um, it gave the airport greater awareness of where people are moving, um, but uh, equally important or more so, it allowed the airport to recapture revenue that was lost from the taxi side. So anytime a taxi came or went from the airport, they would get three or four or five bucks. Um, that's now in place with Uber. So sharing that among our airports is part of what we're doing. Um, there's a number of, about a, a handful, about three uh, similar solutions that I'm working on now. Uh, one's focusing on enhancing accessibility for the blind and visually impaired, as an example. So, you know, leveraging innovation and, and specifically working with those airports that have uh, an innovative drive uh, to demonstrate things that could be beneficial for the whole industry. Yeah, I think, and not to focus this whole topic on Uber, but <laughs> they just come up as a great example in so many different areas. Uh, I think they are a company, a good example of a company that kind of uh, didn't know uh, how to navigate through the airport, the politics of an airport and working with an airport, and now at some mm -hmm. areas are uh, taking a real punishment for that. Um, I know, for example, in Chicago, uh, the, uh, the taxi cabs, the taxis may pay, uh, you know, $2.50 for every time they pick up. Uh, but for Uber, they've actually got a, da a, a fee that's twice as much. Uh, so it's $5, so $5 added fee mm. when Uber or Lyft picked you up. Um, and I think some of that has to do with the fact that they, you know, came in and um, really asked for forgiveness rather than permission uh, from yeah. the get-go and, and pushed a lot of airports to take reactive um, action and and for better or for worse, this is you know they're they're getting heavier tax uh, for it. Um, so yeah, I think that what you guys are doing, working, you know, helping companies navigate that that space uh, is is probably going to be one of the more beneficial services that you offer. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that Uber example, they're not afraid to push buttons and, and uh, go up to Capitol Hill or or, or otherwise uh, to get what they want. And it's it's been a very good learning experience for our airports. But uh, like you said, it's it highlights that there's a need to help what could be really valuable innovators enter the airport space and do it properly. Now, are you guys helping airport directors realize, hopefully, that not every airport needs an app uh, <laughs> and that, not, that passengers don't want to download an app every time they have a layover at, at DFW or, or something like that? Yeah. No, I, uh, I don't want to go too far. I prefer to show results and then say it afterwards, but I, I have to admit that a unified airport app is something that is actively on my radar. Um, as a trip yeah. passenger myself, yeah. <laughs> it's on the yeah. pains uh, that I deal with, and I'm sure you as well, every time you go to a different airport. Um, now, yeah. When you, you with through the accelerator, you all do a annual conference. Uh, talk a little bit about the forum and kind of what 
content comes up, what types of conversations, and who are some of the speakers for this year's conference? Yeah. So uh, last year was our inaugural conference, uh, and it was a big hit. Uh, our airports loved it. And the the unique element for the forum, and I think, is not only do you get uh, the right people in the room, so the, the people that attend the forum are, are people that have an open mind are, and are actively engaged in trying new things, uh, but you also get them in the right mindset. So if you take them out of their day-to-day -day jobs and, and bring them into an environment where we're talking about the art of the possible, um, the conversations are rich, the ideas are awesome, um, and last year was great. So we had the CEO of the Consumer Technology Association, Gary Shapiro, talking about autonomous cars, uh, but also drones and uh, 3D printing, things that um, you, know, you may read about in the paper, but he gave it a spin saying, you know, this is how it could affect airports. Uh, we're talking about cargo delivery, and you know, it goes down the supply chain. So there's effects there, but we also had uh, the lead for innovation for Deloitte talk about how uh, airports are very unique. He had a great quote that we we tried to capture, which basically said airports are one of the most complex systems of systems out there. There's so many moving pieces. Uh, it makes it one remarkably complex, uh, but also it is just a tremendous opportunity uh, for innovation. Uh, if you couple that potential or that opportunity with proven processes um, and collaboration, uh, magic can happen. So um, the outcome of that event was really great. Lots of cool concepts. We had a special event at Westfield. So this year, we take the same core concepts of in inspiring our, our airport leaders with uh, innovation experts. So this year, we have Amy Wilkinson. She's a Stanford innovation professor, but she's also the author of The Creator's Code, which is a book that talks about effective innovation. Um, and then we've also got a keynote from John Casarda. So he's the founder of the Aerotropolis concept. Um, and that's one of the things I'm encouraging airports to consider going forward. But the idea that airports are not just a gateway, airports uh, can be a destination. Um, and that's already proving out internationally, but also uh, there's a number of examples of Aerotropolis here in the U.S. with Denver, um, just bringing the train into the, the airport recently with the uh, Westin Hotel, but also partnering with Panasonic, where Panasonic relocated hundreds of jobs to be right near that hub uh, to distribute their materials, but also to make it convenient for their team to clap, uh, travel to their headquarters uh, in Japan. Um, so bringing our airports around really broad ideas, but we still have sessions where uh, airport executives, CEOs, COOs are going to talk about where they see innovation. Um, we also have a more pragmatic or detailed session from CIOs from Miami, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, and a number of others to give the audience an idea of where they're headed um, you know, in the next five years, not in the next 25 necessarily. Um, but the essence being this is a very unique opportunity to get like people together. Um, this year we have active participation from the venture capital community. We've uh, also got airlines participating. Um, and then this year I'm excited about the first ever airport shark tank. So we've got nominations in from some really cool startups um, and we'll be announcing our four judges uh, in the next two weeks here. 
Okay, great. And so are the uh, the startups that are going to be pitching in this airport shark tank, uh, are they going to be pitching for funding or what's on the line for them, I guess? Uh, the, the essence is exposure to airport leaders and potential funding from folks that are in the audience, but um, we haven't announced it yet, so this will be the first time. Um, we're looking to have the winner enrolled automatically into uh, Airport Market Match, which is uh, a paid-for-service, but it's, uh, the winner will, will get our full support in trying to reach airports, and we'll help them step-by-step step going through uh, their market approach. Okay, and so the Market Match, to kind of talk a little bit about that, that's a service you all mm -hmm. offer for startups to get accepted into or? Yeah, there's a nomination window that uh, last year it opened in conjunction with the forum, so we're targeting the same thing. So in that uh, October-November timeframe, we will open up uh, the window for applications. Um, and then by the end of the year, the goal is to select uh, probably six companies. We want to keep it very close-knit. Um, and try to select it based on our airport's needs. Um, and then the program is really focused on enabling innovative companies to connect with the right people. Um, and our goal, and this is one of the foundational components of the accelerators, we're very action-oriented. We have a bias towards doing things and demonstrating um, and learning along the way. So the market match is really intended to get some pilot opportunities and some reference points established. Um, that can create sort of a launch pad for these ideas to more broadly reach airports. Okay. Um, and then do they end up going on to uh, get connected with VCs at the end of their program? Is it a training program that you're bringing them through to help them craft pitches? or? No, we leave that to the pros. Uh, our focus is on airports and connecting those folks with airport leaders, but also educating them on how airports work. Uh, along the process, we already have connections with a number of VCs and other accelerators, which are our partners. Um, so based on the company's stage, um, we have the opportunity and, and we are willing to put them in touch with the right people uh, at those investment firms as needed. I see. Okay. Now, to pivot off of that and, and to kind of wrap it up, um, what are you excited about for the future of the industry, being exposed to all these different ideas and all these companies? Is there one that you ideally would like to come to see come through the accelerator and work with? Well, I, I will say, I mean, the there are a lot of really fascinating ideas. Um, to give you an example, one of the companies that's in market match now um, is applying artificial intelligence and crowdsourcing to uh, video monitoring. So, you know, I think over the past decade or so, there's been a lot of emphasis on video analytics because oftentimes you have more cameras than you have people that can watch them, so you have to be more efficient. But it's proven to be uh, problematic because of the false alarms. Um, and if you have too much noise, uh, people are more likely to sort of ignore things that might be really a problem. Um, so this company is applying Google, the same premise that Google uses for Google Maps, um, to video analytics. So it's learning continually. Um, so there's, that's an example of the type of solution. But I, I will say the one that's most promising to me is, is probably at a, a higher level where 
airports have the opportunity to sort of reclaim the relationship with passengers. In many respects, the airports, or I'm sorry, the airlines and even the concessionaires have more of a relationship through their app than airports do right now, which I think is just imbalanced. So with mobile technology where it is uh, and advances in, in data management, um, I'm optimistic that even in the next few years, airports can make great enhancements in their engagement with passengers. Uh, just to your point earlier, I think anybody would love to have one app that has all of your airports in it. Uh, the reality is no one person is going to download 450 apps onto their phone and open up the right one when they travel through an airport. Um, so I think that's a huge opportunity, and I think the timing is right uh, for that one to come to fruition. Sounds like you're getting on to the idea of big data uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence, and that's kind of the, the newest buzzword, which you and I definitely spend another hour uh, talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, we'll have to save that for, for our, our next conversation. Um, but, uh, again, Chris, uh, you, you gave me enough time, and, and I appreciate uh, the insight. Is there anything... Uh, last that you'd like to mention, when is the, the forum and, and how can people learn more information about it? Yeah. Um, so the uh, Airport Innovation Forum is going to be in San Jose, California this year. The dates are October 11th through the 13th, so I highly encourage your folks to, to join if they can. Um, but more generally for the Accelerator, you can find more information on our programs and what we're focused on at uh, www.airportinnovation.org. Okay, and we'll definitely drop a link to that uh, in the show notes as well, along with uh, is Twitter and Facebook, LinkedIn, is all that you guys on all those social yep. media networks as well? Yep, that's all on our website as well. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we'll be sure to be sure to get all that information uh, out there in the show notes. So. Well, Chris, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, it's definitely very exciting uh, to hear what AAAE and, and you're working on with the industry. I believe that there aren't a whole lot of accelerator programs focused on aviation, so it's exciting to hear that there are at least uh, a few people out there trying to push the whole industry forward rather than just one, one or two startups. Uh, so thanks for your time and, and appreciate the, the insight. No. Thank you very much, Chris. Once again, we want to thank Chris for his time and the great conversation I got to have with him. If you want to learn more about AAAE and what they're doing with their accelerator, or if you want to find out how you can attend the Airport Innovation Forum, we've got some links in the show notes, so make sure you check those out. As always, we want to thank Bruno Massone for giving us the intro music. You can check out his work at brunomassone.com, or just check out the links in the show notes as well. Remember, if you like this interview and you're not subscribed yet, be sure to check us out on iTunes or Stitcher. Hit that subscribe button so you can always be up to date with the latest interviews that we release. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.